today on Building the Open Metaverse. We worked with NASA on the Mars rover with RoboMaker. And so that obviously has to process on the robot on the edge, right? Because you know it's a 20 minute each direction to Mars. So you got to push that ML to the edge. And that's what a lot of what we do with RoboMaker, for example, is this seamless, you train on the cloud, uh, we have a thing called WorldForge that's kind of like a No Man's Sky, a lightweight No Man's Sky. It does interior spaces today, and it randomizes interior spaces. So you can say, I want, you know, 6,000 houses that range from one to seven bedrooms, right, with the, with this kind of furniture and this whatever. You click a button, and it generates those worlds for you and guarantees that they're all random, and then you test your robot out in it. Welcome to Building the Open Metaverse, where technology experts discuss how the community is building the open metaverse together. Hosted by Patrick Cozy from Cesium and Mark Petit from Epic Games. All right, welcome everybody. Uh, today on Building the Open Metaverse, the podcast where technologists share their insight on how the community is building the metaverse together. Here with my co-host Patrick Cozy, uh, founder and CEO of Cesium. Hi folks. We have the immense pleasure to have Bill Vass from AWS with us today. Thank you, Bill, and thanks for being with us. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Mark, and welcome, Bill. So so our podcast is both about the technology for the metaverse, but also the people themselves that are building the metaverse. And Bill, I mean, you've worked on many interesting things from your time at the Pentagon to Sun to what you're up to now at AWS, Enable and Cloud and Edge Gaming, simulations, movies, and robotics. I mean, to start off the podcast, we'd love to hear a bit about your personal journey to the metaverse. Yeah, so it's it's been a, a long one. Uh, I've always thought of this as uh, the metaverse is an interesting name for it, but 3D spatial computing and then linking in the physical world uh, with the, the virtual world is really where I've, I've been focused. I've done a lot. You know, I worked on RenderMan in early early days and OpenGL and things like that. But my first experience in working in this space was uh, really at the Pentagon where I was CTO Army. We were working on a thing called Force 21 where we had an ocular that came down and did 3D mapping uh, uh, for soldiers in the field and, and trying that out. Uh, and uh, I learned a lot about augmented reality then and how hard that actually was. And it, the interesting thing in all of these visions, we also had, uh, when I was at the Pentagon, we were working on, we called it 3D faxing. I know that's a, that sounds very old, but that now we call that 3D printing. And so we would scan things in in 3D. And we were attempting, for example, for a tank, if a rocket broke on a tank, that rather than, than having the parts, we would print it out in 3D, which we actually do today. I was over at you know Blue Origin and looking at them printing the whole engine in 3D and things like that now. But back then, the, the sprocket was all wavy and it, you know, couldn't really use it and stuff like that. But you could build, you know, you could actually, it, it used thin sheets of, of metal and it used a plasma beam to, to weld it together. Um, but the idea is you put a CD in, remember those, and, and, and you can create a 3D model off the CD and print it out in your tank and fix your tank, right? Uh, and so we work in that space. And then we started working on these things called 3D caves, uh, if you remember. And they had the glasses where the, the eyes would flip back and forth like that with the LCD shutters. Uh, and you walked around. And this was when I was at Sun. We had uh, these, uh, we were doing the national labs where we had a, the floor, the ceiling, and the walls were all projected. And so you walked around in this, this giant cube. Uh, uh, with 3D glasses on and you could walk around and use it for design and things like that. And then we would take and then, and then turn those designs into real physical, you know, environments that you would walk through and those kinds of things. And so you could walk through and see if you're going to hit your head on a pipe and, and those kinds of things, um, uh, and, and be, be more immersive. But then we also took that to simulation and the ability to simulate 
uh, uh, environments as well and do predictive simulation based on that. And that has continued to evolve. And so a lot of these things like in the early days when I worked on uh, um, artificial intelligence back in 1978, I know I'm, I'm, I'm old. Uh, and, and, and so we, were, we, were, we had undersea autonomous drones that were giant diesel subs uh, and they would get lost all the time. Uh, and my boss used to say artificial intelligence isn't very intelligent, but we were doing neural network programming. And the thing was, we're doing the same thing today with machine learning. It's really algorithms haven't changed that much other than deep learning. They haven't changed that much. They're still scalar vector model. We just didn't have enough storage and compute. And I think the same thing in this metaverse discussion, we didn't have enough storage and compute. And now with the cloud, with edge capabilities, with high performance GPUs, with all these things we have today, some of this vision of the merging of the virtual and physical world uh, and the ability to move back and forth between the two seamlessly, like, you know, like my iPhone has a LiDAR on it and I can go around with like polycam or, or you know, uh, or other other things like uh, Matterport, and things like that and create 3D worlds, bring it right into my real 3D world. Uh, and, and I can talk a lot about RoboMaker and all the other things we're doing in that area. But that's, that's sort of been my, my, my direction here. Another Thing because of this work in this metaverse piece, also I work in the oil and gas space, uh, which I didn't call it metaverse back then, just creating 3D, very advanced 3D, high-performance computing, which has kind of all led to this as well. And then I ran an autonomous uh, uh, vehicle company that did large-scale, uh, long-duration autonomous ocean robotics and uh, called Liquid Robotics, which got bought by Boeing. That had a lot of the, you know, we would do huge giant ocean sized simulations in the robots and then we'd run them in the real world and, and they would self navigate and they'd swarm themselves and these kinds of things. So uh, pretty fascinating stuff kind of across the board on, on the whole journey. We also worked, I worked a lot on NASA whirlwind, if you remember that, and that's still out there. Uh, I helped to fund that when I was at sun and I helped to try to keep open GL alive. I'd love to see Vulcan taking that over. So it's, it's, it's been, it's been a fascinating journey and I'm really excited about the future and, and where we're going and some of the stuff, for example, that, that, you know, Epic has been very visionary here. Uh, and I'm also a gamer. So that also you know, makes it, makes it fun. I'm like, you know, I can always, I can always tell a, an unreal game because it's got great graphics and stuff and I'm very immersive. So I enjoy that also. Well, thank you, Bill. Um, so we're going to talk about the future in a minute, but before, I think it would be interesting to kind of uh, give us an overview of the current state of real-time 3D on the cloud as you know, what's what's working at scale, what's in production. I mean, we hear a lot about experience, but I believe probably a lot more is in production than we actually think. So what's, what's your, from your vantage point in AWS, where? So, so there's uh, there's a number of different dimensions in this. So, so there's actually this thing, uh, I'm surprised how well it's doing. I love that it's doing well, called a virtual try-on in Amazon.com, where people are creating 3D environments using like their, their iPhone to scan the room uh, and choose furniture and drop it into the room, along with trying on makeup and, and, and clothing and other things like that. Uh, and that's continuing to evolve. Um, in the um, robotic space, we launched a product called RoboMaker, uh, which is used for autonomous vehicles, autonomous cars, robots, all those kinds of things. We just launched, as a matter of fact, its ability to run it uh, on Unreal, uh, along with uh, uh, Unity and O3DE. So you can kind of choose your engine and choose your physics and, and, and choose your models and then press a button and it will swarm that. And so you can do like a, a year's worth of testing in a thousand environments that are randomized in an hour. 
which you just can't do in the real world, right? And you can do millions of miles of driving in a car and those kinds of things. Uh, and I think that is really advancing. A lot of the high-performance computing we see on AWS today is this simulation world, whether it's weather simulation in this space. And so uh, we also launched a product called um, uh, Amazon Location, which has uh, two in th now, now coming 3D mapping on it, which will let you kind of pull in 3D worlds uh, from the real physical world, very much like, you know, in our partnership with Cesium, what we can deliver there, and then render it in Unreal or Unity or O3DE or whatever else you want, uh, and then drop a, a, a vehicle in there and do a, a training set on that uh, in, in ML uh, uh, with photorealistic kind of rendering, things like those environments. And so... Um, we also see a world where that links into our retail side in and in gaming as well. And, and I see this it, with LED walls as well. So we have a product called Nimble Studio, which we're working with, again, uh, Unreal and this idea that you can have, instead of in a green screen, you have the LED wall behind you. Uh, and uh, uh, the actors can actually see the things they're interacting with, which is which is amazing to me how much they've done on green screens in the past. Uh, and so that's all linking together. And I sort of see this convergence happening between the gaming rendering, the simulation, you know, world, the the, the retail uh, virtual trying world, the uh, uh, AR VR world, uh, the the movie rendering world, and then all of this physics and simulation capabilities uh, all kind of coming together now, along with 3D mapping and geospatial worlds all coming together. So I'm pretty excited about where it is and and that we can actually do it now. Uh, you know, a lot of our our Snowball customers today do edge processing with drones and then map it into 3D, 3D point clouds as they collect the drone information, for example, that we then, they use these and ship them back in. And these are used for like ADAS collection and things like that in cars uh, for those logging. So it's, it's, there's a lot going on. And I think you're also going to start to see very large scale real, real time simulations where uh, you're, you're able to simulate, ha have the, if you like, the 3D world go across many servers with, with shared memory. Uh, and I think that's going to be transformational as well. So watch, watch for cool things coming in those areas. Thanks, Bill. So first, I really loved your, your introduction. And, and it sounds to me that a lot of the metaverse experiences that, that we're thinking about nowadays, folks have thought about in the past, but now we're starting to get hardware and the kind of tech stack underneath to catch up, right? So I think that's a, a really cool theme that you brought forth. Um, and then I wanted to ask, you know, you mentioned about the convergence of so many interesting areas and another theme in the metaverse has been openness and kind of breaking down silos and interoperability. And if you had a perspective on, on open standards and creating the interoperability among all those folks. Yeah, it's a, it's a real challenge. If you deal with, uh, there are hundreds of different CAD formats and hundreds of different, you know, image formats and hundreds of different 3D formats, right? Um, and we've really got to work to converge those, right? Because everybody built their own. And so we've got to start converging on a common set of standards that allows portability because we really should be able to take a CAD cam of something uh, import it into a simulation, import it into an engineering simulation, import it into a video game, import it into a movie CGI, uh, and then also uh, print it out in 3D, right? And so, so I, I think, you know, as, as 3D printers get also much more advanced, uh, you've got multi-material 3D printers now. I saw my first 
uh, cell phone printed out on one 3D printer, the entire cell phone, the battery, everything printed out on a 3D printer. It, it didn't have an LCD screen, right? But it had buttons. It had a battery. It had a, you know, a, a, a fractal uh, antenna. It had all of the circuit board all printed in one unit, right? As these things start to occur and you start getting more advanced 3D printing, like I said, we've moved from with the resolution where, you know, uh, SpaceX and Blue Origin and, and you know, you know, uh, Astra and a whole bunch of others uh, print things uh, uh, that they're immediately used, right? Where it used to be you just printed a mold and, and those kinds of things. Um, there's a, a, a really cool startup uh, uh, called Polyworks, which I'm fascinated with. It, it's got a in a shipping container, it's got a metal grinder on one side. Uh, you throw metal of any kind you want in there. It grinds it up. It puts it into a um, uh, a forge, uh, a plasma forge that liquefies the metal. And then a centrifuge that breaks it into the different types of metal. And then they atomize the metal into a powder. And then they that goes directly into 3D printers. And they have like all of their, their 3D models on snowballs. And they're controlling all this. And then the other side products come out. <laughs> and so this is the, like, you know, this is like an amazing thought is you've got this idea of, you know, you throw a, a, an old car in one end and you get new airplane parts out the other. Uh, and so it's it's really fascinating. They're using them on oil rigs and in the military and other places like that. And, and uh, it, it, it's just the metaverse to me is anything where the virtual and physical world combine. Uh, uh, and the ability to move seamlessly between simulation worlds, the, the real world, the virtual world, and, 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 the, and, the, and the physical world, right? Um, and uh, I think it's, uh, you know, yes, it's gaming and VR headsets and those kinds of things, but that is not really what it's about, right? Uh, and I think, you know, the commerce that's going to happen there, uh, the experiences that are going to happen there, uh, I mean, if you take a look at like what Niantic's doing with uh, Pokemon, right? And they're all, all 3D layered metaverse that they're building as well uh, uh, for virtual, you know, uh, uh, augmented reality in that space is, 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 is getting to be more and more popular. I think as headsets get more interesting, like I can't get my wife to wear my Oculus today. Uh, but, but, you know, maybe, a, you know, you know, maybe somebody makes a good pair of glasses that they're lightweight. I could get her to wear or something like that. You know, I got her, I got her to wear a, an Apple watch and she likes that. So now it's, it's a matter of getting, you know, that, what would that next thing took for that interface there? But, you know, you can interface with it. It isn't limited to AR, VR, right? Just it's anything, you know, with a screen that you can interface in, uh, you know, and even, like I said, in 3D printing, you could take, anything ideally that is visualized in the metaverse and printed out in 3d and then touch it right so you've got like you know and then you can take anything that you can in ideally and and visualize it in the metaverse um and i think that's just th those technologies are going to continue to to converge and evolve um you know i think you know if you take a look at any of the big video games now they're significantly more complicated in production than a movie right i mean yeah, it, it's 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 really amazing what goes into the video games, and then if you take a look at a movie, the three D artists in the end, you know, there's like thousands of them. Uh, my daughter's a three D artist, works going to school to go to college of the arts down in L A. And so I kind of look at all of the the CGI stuff she's doing and things like that. And again, she does the same thing. She'll do this CGI robot, and then she'll print it out in three D, right? So this is you know th this whole idea of moving back and forth is pretty exciting. 
Yeah, and, and Bill, on that note, I mean, to enable all these metaverse experiences, there's going to be a lot of 3D content, right? It could yeah. come from the scanned world, like the drone example you mentioned. It could come from artists, procedural yeah. algorithms. And, and you know, I think over time, there's going to be more and more demand for this content, very yeah. large world, very high resolution worlds. And today, you look at AWS, we know it powers a lot of streaming video, right, at scale, yeah. And you know, what do you think about the current state and the future of stepping up to streaming the real-time interactive 3D of these massive worlds? So, so we already have a, a, a product called Luna that you may be recognized where we're delivering uh, the, the streaming video. And, and I think it's streaming video games. And I think as long as you've got in the under 100 millisecond kind of latency, it's usable, right? And then it, in the, uh, as you get down in the... The um, you know she's 90, 90 millisecond or less. It's great, right? And so I think that's going to be capable. Uh, and we're doing more and more with our uh, a product called Wavelength, where we push the cloud to the five G hubs, and then with a the low latency of five G, you get a lot of capabilities there. Um, uh, and our outposts, where you can even push it into a building, and so you have the ability to deploy all the way out into a building or into to a hub. Um, I think there's still going to be challenges. Like if I'm on Verizon on a 5G hub playing with Patrick uh, on a 5G hub on our mobile thing, streaming that game, that's probably going to be okay. But if Mark is on AT&T or, and then I'm not using just, or, or any other, other that Verizon, if it's at the Verizon hub, then you've got to do a network hop and, and uh, Mark's going to be trying to play with Patrick and I, and his, his latency is going to be messed up because he's on just on a different network. Not that there's anything wrong with AT&T. I love AT&T too. That's not, not, that's not an issue. It's just that, you know, that, that bridge of the network is going to cause problems. And um, uh, I think the challenge to like, we do these kind of video conferencing all the time now. And when my video slows down at home, uh, everybody just says, Oh, Bill, you're frozen. Could you repeat that? But in the middle of a game, I'm playing with Mark. Uh, and uh, he, when I freeze, he just kills me. <laughs> and that, that's very frustrating in a game. It's a different, it's a different kind of story. You know, like when you're watching Netflix and you get the little, you know, while, it, while it's caching, that's fine. But, but uh, you'd rather not have it, but it's fine. But in a video game or uh, any of these areas, and that's why we see like in connected car and drones. And even like we worked with NASA on the Mars rover with RoboMaker. And so that, obviously has to process on the robot on the edge, right? Because, you know, it's a 20 minute each direction to Mars. So you got to push that ML to the edge. And that's what a lot of what we do with RoboMaker, for example, is this seamless, you train on the cloud. Uh, we have a thing called WorldForge that's kind of like a no man's sky, a lightweight no man's sky, it does interior spaces today. And it randomizes interior spaces. So you can say, I want you know, 6,000 houses that range from one to seven bedrooms, right? With the, with this kind of furniture and this whatever, you click a button and it generates those worlds for you and guarantees that they're all random. And then you test your robot out in it. And then you can run, you know, make one millisecond equal an hour and run, you know, a year's worth of testing in 6,000 houses. And then you get a great ML, you know, re result from that. And then you can click a button, deploy that code onto the robots, right? Because a lot of it you need to run locally. The other thing we've done some experiments with is this idea of uh, a, if you take a, a bipedal robot and it's walking along, you can actually, as long as it's 30 milliseconds or less, you can offload the balancing algorithm to one of those 5G hubs, right? And, and so that's an interesting thing. If you get beyond 30 milliseconds, it starts to look like a drunken sailor at about 60, it starts to fall over, right? So I think 
you wouldn't do that with a balancing algorithm. You would keep that on the robot, right? That was just an experiment we did. You could keep that on the robot. But a lot of the voice interactions and things like that, as you see, for example, with Alexa products, there's very little on the Alexa. Almost all of it's running back in the cloud. And so you get this idea of uh, a um, very stupid device that acts very smart, a very cheap robot that acts very smart because its brain is extended into the cloud. That brain is trained in the metaverse, right? It's trained in these simulate this trained in these environments, right? And so, you know, the you know, your your uh, uh, iRobot uh, is runs on RoboMaker. And so that's trained in these synthetic houses, right? And then it's deployed out, out there onto the edge. And so I think that there's always going to be some edge processing and in game streaming, I think ultimately what we need to do is is make it what we're trying to do with like Greengrass, which is a, a product that can run at the edge. Uh, uh, and it is you can distribute your program into what's going to run on a on the cloud, what's going to run on a pop, what's going to run on a wavelength, what might run on a snowball, what might run on the device that that you're you're deploying Greengrass onto, uh, uh, based on, on where the programmer can pick uh, a latency and processing capability. So if they have a really powerful thing like an iPhone, they can run a lot there, or a car, they can run a lot there. Uh, if it's less powerful, they can and they have good network, they'll offload more and more to those tiers, right? What we really need ultimately in this metaverse gaming environment is the ability to do that with um, our rendering systems, right? And so you could have where where Mark is, you know, it, maybe he's got core bandwidth and he's uh, uh, playing. So most of it's rendered on his device, whereas I've got really great bandwidth and most of it's rendered on my device. And then Patrick, you're somewhere in between and it's like half and half. Now, of course, then we also run into time. Right, the speed of light thingy that we haven't solved yet. Where, where you know, and, and so you know, trying to figure out what is real the the time series across our environments because maybe you know Mark is you know uh, say two hundred milliseconds away from from Patrick and I, right? And so when Mark shoots this, you know, his bullet looks like slow motion compared to Patrick and I. So we, we've got to figure out what real time is and. You don't want to have like the rubber banding effect that you get or any of those kind of things you see in, in, in games where they're trying to sync time up. That I, I think that's going to continue to be a problem for all of these MMOs uh, that we, we have to work through. And that's an area where standards could be good. I think in some kind of open standard for delivering this idea of uh, deciding on the fly what parts of the game run on the device versus what runs in the cloud. Um, I think a lot of the game studios I talk to, their, their idea of streaming is they actually want to take advantage of the local hardware. Does you know it costs money to run things on on you know on stuff that they don't own? It doesn't cost money to run things on stuff they don't. It costs money to run things at the back end. And so what they want is rather than waiting for two hours for the game, you know, I like like you know, I, I got I got Doom, and then it sat there I, and I got like cyberpunk and it sat there for like two hours downloading before I could play it. Right. You know, they show you all this cool stuff that it's downloading, but you just leave the room. What you'd want to do is stream the game immediately while you're downloading all that stuff. Right. And so you can be making progress in the game. And I think that's what a lot of the studios are looking for. And then uh, once it's down, then it takes advantage of the local hardware. I mean, a, a PS5 is an amazing piece of kit. So, so we, we're, I mean, you mentioned the Apple Watch, you know, connecting to our to our phones, connecting yeah. to the cloud. I, I think, you know, we have a suspicion that model could be the same for real-time free content and glasses connected yeah. to 
maybe your phone device connected to the cloud. And so yeah. is this kind of architecture that you expect to be the solution? Because that's, I mean, that's a big challenge from a software engineering perspective to get those distributed. Yeah. Because the amount of power we're going to get at each point is so different. Probably going to have two watts on the glasses, 10 watts on the phone, right. 100 watts on the, on the edge. So how do we, what's the path to finding a, a solution there? Yeah, I think it, it, I think it's going to be very much engaged with the phone, as as you mentioned. I think the phone is going to become sort of your central processor. You know, if you like, take a look at an Oculus today. It does a lot of processing on the the thing that you run on your head, right? And I, actually, I love I love my Oculus. So I'm not, I'm not you know, the, the the new one is amazing. Like it shows you your hands and stuff like that. They did amazing work with that. Uh, but I think you're not going to have the average person with a heavy headset on, right? I think you're going to need some way to project uh, that that looks more normal. Um, uh, you know, and, and it, it's disappointing, for example, that 3D movies aren't as popular uh, as I thought they would be either. I, I like them, but, you know, I, I find that, you know, at, at home, uh, you know, you can't even buy 3D TVs anymore, right? They, they, they kind of, you know, some of them have them, some of them don't. Um, and, uh, you know, getting my family to all put the glasses on to watch a 3d movie at home, they don't want to do it. So I, I, I think there's still, there's going to be user interface challenges, uh, for a long time. Uh, and I think that a good amount of it will process on the phone there, you know, phones are only going to get more powerful. Right. Uh, and so the glasses would just be a display device basically. And the rendering would be happening on the phone and caching and streaming. I think. We kind of need to work on this idea of, of of segmenting the application in a way that the developers' minds don't explode. You know, like CUDA. I know that we don't use CUDA a lot in the gaming industry because we want to write directly the hardware. <laughs> CUDA is even too much of an abstraction. We want to use all the hardware we get, right? Uh, but CUDA has enabled a lot of things with people not having to understand that. And my goal, I think, with our distributed architecture we're working on, is trying to make it so they don't have to understand that. Of the average programmer, yeah. I'll always give them a door where they can go directly to the hardware. But if I can abstract that away, where they don't need to think about where it's running, where the the machine, just, you know, that's one of those things computers could do pretty well is, is, you know, measure latency, measure processing power, measure networking, and, and make a decision in real time as to what to run where. where. But you're going to have to have the app broken into these, you know, loosely coupled components uh, 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 and, and that's going to be a challenge for rendering engines. It's going to be a challenge for game developers. And then you still have this speed of light problem with, you know, people playing from all over the world in MMOs that you have to resolve, right? That, that's not going to fix that. But I think streaming is going to get there for many people, but I think there's going to be an awful lot that is still going to have to run on the edge. Like, you know, you're... You know, your autonomous vehicles are still going to, and, and robots and things like that, are still going to do a lot of local processing. I don't think, I don't see that. Uh, uh, but I also don't see them, you know, I can't imagine a world where there's not going to be a lot of autonomous things, right? And I can't imagine a world where those things won't be connected to a network. And if they're connected to a network, they're going to be connected to a cloud, right? I mean, those are like, you know, those are things that I can I can count on are going to be true, right? And, and uh, but I can also see a world where some of it, you know, like one of the challenges we had with our autonomous systems uh, for RoboMaker is these drones are in the ocean and they're crossing the Pacific on their own. And and they kind of, it's amazing actually how far offshore a cell signal will get. It's, it's more than you think because it doesn't have trees and stuff in the way. But, um, you know, when you're near shore, it's running Wi-Fi uh, for its communication. 
uh, as you go further offshore, it moves to cellular. As you go further offshore, it moves to satellite. And satellite's got a whole different latency model. The scary part is when you're right on that edge where it's kind of going between satellite and cellular and satellite. So it's going synchronous, asynchronous, synchronous, asynchronous. And for example, we specifically built a thing in Greencraft called the Stream Manager uh, that is designed to help developers not have to think about that because you get these out of order executions and things like that uh, uh, in that space. And then the same thing as we, uh, uh, you know, with Hyper coming out and, you know, the, the uh, Space Edge equivalent roll, rolling out, um, this, this idea that you will be pretty much pervasively connected but it'll be at all different levels of bandwidth and all different types of radios. And so how do you make that? That's our goal in Stream Manager in, in Greengrass to make it so the developer doesn't need to understand it. It discovers all the communication. It manages the, the ordered execution of it uh, to avoid out-of-order execution um, uh, and then makes those decisions. We need to get to that place in Metaverse where we can deliver rendering and actions in that kind of tiering. Uh, as well, in a way that the you know doesn't make programmers' heads explode, right? Um, you know, and it, and it's hard, you know. Yeah. So you touch a little bit on on five G. You know, five G kind of brings the telcos into the cloud business. So yeah. does you know what, what does it do for the dynamics of the ecosystem? Does it create you know another layer, as you said, of a, of indirection of abstraction or? Uh, what's your relationship? What the relationship with the big scaling cloud companies such as Amazon and the telcos? How do we, how do we envision that whole ecosystem? Yeah, so so we're, I mean, um, our wavelength product that we're we're partnering with a lot of the telcos. So the nice thing about tel- the five G is a, it's a hub and spoke architecture, right? And so we have these hubs where we put our outpost products, which lets you extend your AWS environment right there. So everything you get on the cloud, you get in this hub, much closer to the customer from a latency perspective kind of solves a speed of light problem to a certain extent. Um, and then uh, for underserved areas, uh, you can go out and look. We're doing a lot of that with snowballs. So these little snowballs and snow cones can provide private networks locally, uh, private 5G. Uh, and I think there's some interesting things that you see people doing that uh, in, in, in university campuses and farmers fields and all bunch of things like that that aren't served by 5G because of the density of antennas that are necessary are going to be focused on where their most people are, right, at first. Um, and so you'll still have this ability to extend the cloud to those places and run on the 5G hub. Um, and then you sort of have this, well, what do I want to run on the client and what do I want to run on the hub? Um, you know, the latency is transformational uh, for 5G. Um, another thing that, that people don't realize is the billing is transformational for 5G, which is this is back to the economics of all this. Like, you know, the, the, the billing allows you to just pay for basically what you use and not having to pay for connect. Whereas previously with IOT devices, you had to pay for connect. And then there's other things like we're deploying, uh, Amazon has a terrestrial wireless system called LoRaWAN, which we've deployed that's available everywhere. Um, that won't, you're not going to stream video over that. Uh, it's very low bandwidth, but very long range, low bandwidth. It's really good for heartbeat information to kind of figure out, well, here's, here's where my, drone is, here's where my car is, those kinds of things, uh, uh, without having to run on the 5G network for things that you don't need the 5G for. Um, uh, I think also trying to prioritize communication as to what, you know, you might have machine learning running on the edge, like in a car, and it's collecting data all the time, and it only sends back on the 5G to things it thinks is instantaneously important. 
And then when you pull into your garage at night, it, it connects to your Wi-Fi and sends the rest. Right. And so I, I think those are those are going to be the kinds of things you'll see um, uh, continue. I mean, Tesla does that today, obviously, but, but a lot of the auto manufacturers are, are, are planning that. And they're, we're trying to develop that with Stream Manager in that space as well. And you see, um, uh, like the work we're doing at QNX, where they're extending the cloud APIs into the vehicle OS. Uh, and make that available, and so so the the vehicles can you can do inter vehicle communication, and then you can be always connected to these five G hubs. The other thing that's happening with five G is they're moving from proprietary switching environments to software defined uh, environments running on the servers versus proprietary switching components that they used to run before, uh, and that changes the economics of some of this deployment as well for them. Um, and so, so it's pretty exciting to see see that happening also, but. No, a lot, a lot going on here. Yeah, no, thanks, Bill. It's it's actually fascinating, uh, you know, to you're getting you're giving us a glimpse of how sophisticated, you know, all of that software, those software layers are going to be. Yeah, there will be no magic. I mean, brute force is not going to take us to the metaverse. We're going to have to go through <laughs> layers of abstraction and optimization. So a lot of uh, a lot of complex engineering works ahead of us. So. Yeah. Yeah, but I think though, but you know, you, you kind of roll back to standards. I think we need a good set of standards for 3D asset management mm -hmm. um, and, and for uh, a good set of standards for importing from the 3D world, both mapping and, and, and object information. Uh, we also need a really good set of standards for um, uh, cross metaverse. Uh, I mean, I would, as a gamer, and I will switch to the gaming, gaming view. I mean, I'd love to be in cars too. I have a, a simulator at home that actually moves a thing called the uh, uh, Fast Tech Game Simulator. Oh, they're they're great. Everyone should have one. Maybe. Go out, take a look. They're they're, they're 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 made overseas and get it imported and stuff. But it's great. It's, it, it twists and also you know moves like this, and you can put the Oculus on and use that as well. And so I'm in cars too, and I pay for I pay for a Lamborghini Aventador. I'd love to now go to Grand Theft Auto and import my Lamborghini Aventador from Cars 2. And I said, I'm okay, I should pay, just like the real world, I should pay an import fee, right, and, and a transportation fee, right? I should pay like a, you know, to, to the Grand Theft Auto people to get it there. And then I should be able to drive it around Grand Theft Auto. And then I should be able to go rob a bank in Grand Theft Auto and take the $100,000 I got from robbing a bank and then go over to Fortnite. And, and then and I spend have to- it. I have to do a currency exchange, you know, just like the country, right? And maybe pay some taxes to Fortnite, which is completely reasonable to do, and then be able to spend it. And then when I'm driving, I'm over there, I'm like, well, I really want my Aventador, so I should be able to import it in there as well, right? And so, so that kind of cross metaverse stuff, that commerce necessary to do that, you know, and there's NFTs and all these other kinds of things that is, is gonna, I think another set of standards that we have to develop that I think is, is just really gonna be foundational for people. They want, they want the ability to do that today. That's a really easy thing for me to say and a really hard thing to do. Cause you know, the texturing, of the car is different. How the the uh, the um, uh, skeleton of how the you know the the connection to the wheels is different in every game. Yeah, you know, uh, 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 it, it, it's a very hard thing to to do. Um, you know, and this commerce thing needs to be resolved. There needs to be a trusted commerce component. Uh, but it's all going to have to happen. It's just a matter of you know, you know, the, it, and that's the hard work. Unfortunately, I mean that you know that's. I'm not so really. It, I'm not really excited about building a commerce and identity management system, editors, But you have to have it. It's you know, it's like the the thing that's going to make the engine run. And if you can link that into 
physical commerce as well. So if I'm playing a video game or I'm, I'm even talking to you now and I see there's a weird little statue on your, uh, oh, there's like a little rocket statue on your, on your uh, shelf back there. I should be able to click on that and say, I, and that should pop up on Amazon and say, buy that. And it shows up at my house. Well, it's, it, a, it's a unique piece of art. You should not be on Amazon. But. Oh, well, but then, but then I should be able to print it out in 3D. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, have it sent, and if I'm rich, I can print it out in titanium. If I'm not, I'll just get it in plastic, right? So, I mean, it, it's just it, it, that kind of seamless uh, across metaverse and across environments. Is, is so I, I'm curious. Up. It's a kind of a bonus question because, it, you know, as a you know scaling expert, do you think the distributed ledger can is a viable foundation to to manage those those things? Yeah. So I don't know that you need distributed ledger. I'm always, you know, I'm, I, you know, I, 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 um, I build a distributed ledger system here called QLDB, which everyone, if they, if they haven't, if they don't understand QLDB, they don't understand how AWS works. It's the foundation for how our distributed compute works on AWS. It's just a lot faster. It's encrypted the same way, but it's a lot faster than, than a blockchain system. Um, I think, um, you know, there, there's an off blockchain is interesting, but I keep every time I, I deal with blockchain, I'm always like, well, you know, you could already do that, right? You know, like you don't really need blockchain to do that. I think there's a lot you can do with or without blockchain. I think, you know, a lot of people are now going to all these haters in the comments. I'm like, he's an idiot. He doesn't like blockchain, but I don't. <laughs> and, and it's great for like for like replacing Swift or for, for doing cryptocurrency and a number of other things. But, um, you know, there's you know, an awful lot you can do. You don't need blockchain to do that. I think I, I just put it that way. But, but you can use blockchain to do it, but you don't need it to do it. There's lots of ways to trust and, and, and the proper level of cryptography and authentication uh, to do it. Um, uh, I know that like Ethereum's working on a cross metaverse a currency capability, and I think that they should do that, and that's great. Uh, and, and I'll, you know, partner with them and make sure it works in, in our environments. I know. All the NFTs, everyone's very excited about NFTs. Uh, I'm I'm not so excited about them, but you know, uh, you know, I, I should I should have bought uh, uh, Bitcoin when I had a chance, you know, many years ago, as well. <laughs> so so don't, don't 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 do my investment based on based on that because I didn't I didn't buy Bitcoin. I'm like, well, this is pretty cool. I've never discussed it with my wife. This is pretty cool. We should we should buy some of that. And she's like, really? You think so? I'm like, well, I guess not. And I should have. Yeah. You know. <laughs> What it should have been. It's like, like, you know, back in the day, I had a chance to buy AOL stock, you know, uh, uh, and yeah, that's good back to how old I am. A lot of people are are, are listening to this go, what is AOL? Anyway, but, <laughs> uh, uh, and I didn't do that, but uh, that, that's, uh, uh, you know, water over the dam. All right. So, so, Bill, we've covered a lot of topics today, a broad breadth. Uh, is there anything that we didn't cover that you'd like to talk about to wrap things up? Oh, um, I, I think we, we, we covered a lot of the challenges and what we need to do here. I think, you know, the in your area, in Cesium, a lot more of this integration with the, with the 3D mapping world. Um, and I think, you know, the currency of the information is, is just another thing we didn't talk about in the in the, in the 3D mapping world. And, and it, you know, the, the uh, um, I think, you know, uh, you get this idea like you see with Niantic and others where they're constantly updating it with, with current information. And I think um, you get again get this interesting idea where you know you could have you know all the phones in the world constantly updating. You could have all the cars in the world constantly updating. 
uh, where you you know you you get the 3D mapping capability always up to date then. And I think oh, the that, Amazon trucks. Yeah, and the Amazon trucks as well, and the Amazon drones, and the you know you, you name it. Uh, but then there's the other thing we didn't cover here is is privacy, which I think is going to be very important in this space as well. Uh, and I, I don't, you know, my, my wife was head of the Electronic Frontier Foundation for many years, so that, that keeps me always thinking of uh, Sherry, Sherry Steele uh, was head of that for many years. And so I'm always thinking about the privacy side and, and the uh, big brother aspects that we need to protect people against as well. So I think the proper layers of cryptography and anonymity is going to be important. Uh, as well, and, and how we do that, along with allowing the commerce and all these other things as well. So I, I think that's going to be be important also is the privacy aspects uh, and the security aspects for it. I think that's another thing. The security is going to continue to be a paramount and scary thing, especially as you link, you know, as as we link devices. And you know, I also look at the. I think we didn't talk about IoT. So all of this. Uh, you know, if you take a look at our digital twin product, uh, uh, which is, you know, you can, you can go look at some of my videos of the digital twin product um, where you're combining uh, the real time camera data coming in from the security cameras with IoT data with the 3D uh, video game like digital, digital twin of your factory. Um, you know, the, the security needed for for the IoT components is, is paramount. Right. And for robotics and autonomous vehicles. Uh, and then how that will link into the metaverse and digital twins is going to be, secure, you know, really, really important as well. We didn't talk a lot about digital twins, uh, but there's a lot going on there as well. Absolutely. So finally, is there any organization or individual, you know, in the context of the metaverse that you want to give a shout out to? Well, I mean, I got to give out a shout out to the O3DE team and the Linux Foundation. We just had a conference down there. Uh, and so I'm pretty excited about uh, the adoption that's happening there. Um, uh, I think it's it's an exciting exciting new space, and I'm I'm looking forward to and you know Cesium was involved with that too, and I think I think that that, that has been great. Uh, I do want to do a shout out uh, uh, to Epic and all the great work we've been doing together in Fortnite and you know on on our simulation environments and ADAS environments as well, uh, and the great integrations we're we're building across AWS. We've got a, a nice launch of a big simulator coming together. We've got uh, in addition to the RoboMaker simulator, we've got uh, the work we're doing um, uh, in the movie space, as I mentioned before, and others. So thank you for your support there. I, I, it's really You're critical welcome. to our customers as well. And we're really excited about our partnership there and some of the deals we we're doing together uh, in there. And I, I look forward to working you guys too on uh, photogrammetry as well. That's another area. Yeah, we <laughs> it's really hard and we got to continue to work that, you know, and because uh, you really want to get the ability, you know, to, to pull things in from the real world easily by everybody. You want everybody contributing 3D objects, not just artists and engineers. We should talk about this in a few weeks, Bill. Yeah. <laughs> There's some news absolutely. coming up. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Bill, thank you so much for joining us today on the Building the Open Metaverse podcast. And huge thank you to the community for joining us as well. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe.